Please stand for the reading of God's word. We'll be reading from Psalm 20 this morning. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offering and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. May we shout for joy over your salvation and in the name of our God set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. O Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. Uh, this is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Thank you, Fred. And good morning. I'm Travis. I'm the pastor here. Uh, there is a little bit of a change from what you see in your bulletin. I'm not Pastor Nathaniel Lee, who is one of the friends of our church from another congregation. He, unfortunately, uh, came down with a stomach bug and uh, let me know this morning that he would not be able to preach for us after all. So here I am on short notice. So what you are getting is some artisanally heated up leftovers, uh, <laughs> which I hope will satisfy. When you are hungry, leftovers are infinitely better than nothing. So let's hope uh, that the Lord will satisfy our hunger together through Psalm 20. Uh, which I believe, though it's not part of our Grace and Peace series, will still speak to some of the challenges uh, that I know at least a few of us are going through uh, in our lives, and I pray that God would work through that to give us his grace and peace in difficult times. And Psalm 20 invites us to ask, in the midst of difficult times, can I trust God at all? Can I entrust him with my life when it matters most? Uh, in the midst of uncertainty with my family, uh, with my kids, with my parents, with my siblings? Can I trust him in the midst of times where I feel like I'm being attacked, where I am being attacked, where my health is not particularly good, where I'm struggling deeply financially and I'm, I'm continuing to struggle, when my life feels like it's on the verge of falling apart? Again, can I trust him? I hope you hear this morning through this text that God is in fact trustworthy for these moments and that you can count on him. And I want to look at the trustworthiness of God as it comes out in this passage through three things. Uh, the context for trust, the surprise of God's trustworthiness, and the problem we face of trusting something else. So the context, the surprise, and the problem of trusting something else. Before we do that, I invite you to bow your heads and pray with me and ask God to fill up our time together. God, we offer this time to you as we have just made our, our gift offerings before you. We now offer our hearts and our time to sit before you, to sit at your feet as you once commended Mary for doing that, that she has chosen what is better, you said. And so we ask as we come to sit at your feet now to prioritize hearing from you that you would bless that work, that choice, 
Whatever it is that brought us in here this morning by chance or by intention, I pray that you would meet these souls that they uh, might know if they don't know you, that they can trust you. That they might know if they've had difficulty trusting you so far that, that there is more that you have to say, that there is more to who you are, that you would in fact meet them in the trials that they are facing, and that you would encourage us this morning by your power and grace. It's in your Son's name and by your Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. Well, if you have your uh, Bibles, uh, feel free to keep those open. We're going to go back through the text a little bit together this morning, but we're going to start in looking at the context for trust, which comes out in verse 1. Verse 1 talks about this context for the trustworthiness of God. That's clearly what this passage is about. It's about, can I put my weight on God? And it gives the context for this whole question of the trustworthiness of God there. It says, may the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. That's the first context that it gives. This is not just a Tuesday where you're a little frustrated that traffic is slow and you're going to miss your appointment or that things aren't quite going the way that you like. This is a day that's more difficult than that. This isn't just asking, can I trust someone to watch my laptop while I go to the bathroom at Starbucks? This is not that kind of more casual, lower stakes trust. This is a higher stakes question of trust. Commentators suggest that this, this verse, this passage, was used as a call and response by the Levitical priests in ancient Israel and the people spoken over a king before battle. You can see this in verses 5 through 9, more of that, that battle serious context. It says, May we shout for joy over your salvation. Now I know the Lord saves his anointed. And some trust in chariots and some trust in horses. O Lord, save the king. These are things that are talking about a leader going out in battle and praying that that leader would come back. That God would in fact deliver in a day of trouble. It seems to be referencing or at least be used in a time when people were facing an enemy that had presented themselves. A challenge that had come, maybe it was expected, maybe it was not, but it was serious. There's going to be a battle the next day in ancient battles, and it's still true in, in modern battle, was going to be ugly. There was nothing like a nice, picturesque battle in the ancient world. It was going to be close, it was going to be personal, it was going to be violent. In the context of that next day, this was prayed over the king and over the people that were about to go out. It's a context of the utmost seriousness and heaviness when an enemy is at the gates, when we have to go out and meet them, when we're going to see them face to face and maybe one of you will go home and one of you won't. Can you trust God? Can you trust that he will show up for you when you need him most on a day like that, when it seems like it matters most? Or should we be, verse 7, trusting in something else? Should we be trusting in the things that we can measure, the things that seem like they are strong in our time? Chariots and horses were some of the strongest things that you had at that time. That was the best defense you could put forward. If you had those things, you felt more confident of victory. If you didn't have those things, you felt less confident of victory. It's asking, should we just put our hope in the things that we can see that everyone else says is powerful? Will those be the things that deliver me when I'm facing something that I'm not sure I can handle? It's a time when you are asking, what will save us? 
There's a lot of conflict maybe when there's disagreement. I think we ought to do this. No, we ought to do that. This won't help. That will help. There's, there's an urgency to what will solve this problem. And the text invites us to consider just that question. What will save you when everything is on the line? What are you turning to when everything is on the line? Maybe that's the biggest question our text might ask you today that we'll explore more throughout the sermon. But what are you counting on to deliver you when everything is on the line? It's in a very serious context then that Israel would ask and ask and ask again the same question that we often ask in different scenarios in our lives. Can I trust God? And part of this context, as we consider this question, is not just the high stakes of it, but it's also the very personal nature of this question, as we see in verse 1. This question, this, this, this serious context, comes out and is met with a personal response from God, or at least in personal connection to God, because it says, May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. It's saying on this most seriousness of days, may God be personally present to you. May God not be distant. The name of the God of Jacob is a reference in many ways back to Exodus 3. That was the name that that God revealed again to his people for the first time in hundreds of years. It was a personal name he gave Moses to explain to the people about who he is and what he was going to do right on the eve of this exact kind of scenario of delivering people out of hundreds of years of slavery and brutality and genocide. God was saying, this is who I am. This is who I was, in fact. I'm not just a name. I'm not just I am who I am. I'm also the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's a way of saying, look at my resume. You want to know if you can trust me? Talk to the people who have trusted me. Talk to my friends who know me. Talk to the people who have seen what I can do in your life when everything is on the line, when everything seems lost, when you've encountered death, when you've encountered all sorts of problems. Talk to the people who know me to see what I'm like. It's an invitation to to put your weight on the past of who God has been in a very personal way where he has shown up for people, not as this impersonal force, not as the universe sending you a message, but as someone you can know and call on personally. Psalm 20 shows us that in a high-stakes context, God gives us a personal connection to trust in. He gives us a resume to look back on. This is not trust God in the abstract. This is not entrust yourself to some force. This is not entrust yourself to some sort of being and good omens and, and forces and all sorts of karma. No, this is personal. This is someone you know, where if you call them, they would pick up the phone. That's what God is saying. If you call, I will answer. Here's my name. Here's my number. Call me. I'm going to be there. As a friend, as someone you know, as someone who has a history with a reputation and references that you can call on. Trust in my name. My personal name that I give you as friends. It's a personal connection that God gives us 
while we are asking this most urgent of questions, can I trust you? God is rushing in to say, I'm here, you can talk to me, here's what I've been like. God makes it personal for us. The context of trust shows you the heart of God for you in the midst of difficult circumstances, that he wants you to know he is personally present, he is available, he cares, he is invested, and he is involved, just as he has been for those who have gone before you. If you want to know if you can trust God, the text is inviting you to look at the lives of other people who have, who have faced days like this, and God has met them in that. That's the context for trusting God. It helps us answer this question, can I trust you? I think the text surprises us with what it says as it keeps going in response to this question. To get to our second point, the surprise of God's trustworthiness is, is that it shows up in a way that we don't expect. Uh, the first surprise is that the word trust that we see in our English translation is not actually there in the original language. The word trust is not there in Hebrew. The concept is there, as we'll talk about, but it's literally the phrase, we make remembrance, or we remind ourselves. That's what verse 7 is getting at. It says, some make remembrance of chariots. Some make remembrance of horses. But we make remembrance of the Lord. Now, this is actually helpful for us because part of Scripture's concept of the trustworthiness of God is remembrance. Verse 7 is a call to remember that God remembers his people. We see it throughout Scripture. This is that personal side of God. Scripture says God remembered Noah in the flood. Genesis 8, verse 1. In Noah's day of trouble, God remembered him. It says God remembered his promise to give Abraham a descendant. Even in his old age, God remembered him. It says God remembered Hannah when she was barren and could not have a child, did not have a future for herself and her family. God remembered her. These are real people with real problems, facing danger, barrenness, a lack of a future, and God knew their names. The text says he remembered them. And he gave them a future when it seemed like they would have no future. The concept of remembrance is so important for us because it gives us the sense that God is actively thinking about you. He remembers you. It's again not impersonal, it's very personal. And not just for special individuals, but for a whole people. It says God remembered Israel in Egypt. He was thinking about them when they cried out. A whole people. We don't know the names of all of them, but God is thinking of all of them. And he brought them out. God remembers not just special individuals. God remembers all the people that he makes his promises to. He hears the cries of those who call out to him. He does this for all who would do that. Most ultimately, he remembers us in this way as a whole people at the cross. Having Jesus fight there against all that would threaten his people on our worst days. 
doing that differently than the Exodus, not by sending out plagues, but by absorbing them. That's what the cross is. Jesus absorbing all the plagues that would come upon us or that we would bring upon others in our sin. Doing all that so that what should have been our day of trouble, what should have been our day of judgment, he showed up and put himself in harm's way for us. As he was dying there, he was remembering you. He went to the cross remembering you. Remembering his people that he had made promises to. Forgettable people. People who were not special, who didn't have all the degrees, who didn't have all the accomplishments. Remembered all of his people. Cross shows us that he remembers his people in our darkest day of trouble. Scripture says there is no worse day for you than what the day of judgment ought to be. And when all the things that are true about you are completely out in the open for everyone to see every thought, everything you did and didn't do, everything you knew and didn't say, everything you did say and shouldn't have said, when it's all out in front of you, what should be your worst, most embarrassing day, Jesus remembers you on that day. He steps in for what should have been your day of destruction and makes it his own. See, Psalm 20 invites us to trust that God isn't just trustworthy, that he remembers you. That's what makes him trustworthy. God remembers you. He remembers his promises to you. He remembers what he wants to do for you. He thinks about you. God is trustworthy because he remembers That's the first surprise of God's trustworthiness is that he actually remembers you. You might meet someone famous, prestigious in your line of work. You might meet them one time. You could see them 10 years down the road. They probably don't remember you. Someone far more prestigious than them, the God of the universe who has made all things, remembers you. You are special to him. It's part of the surprise of his trustworthiness is the greatness of who he is thinking about the smallness and finitude of who we are. And the second surprise is that this kind of God doesn't just think about you, he ties his reputation to what happens in your life. He ties his reputation as trustworthy, as someone who remembers to what happens in your life. That's not the context you expect for powerful rulers. Many of them don't care about what happens to their people. But that's not God. We see this in verses 6 and 9. It says there that God saves his anointed and asks God to save the king. Not just the king's honor or the people's livelihood was at stake in that request, but God's reputation, because this is his anointed. These are his people. This is the kingdom of God. Isn't this what people talk to God about in many of the prophetic books? So God, won't your reputation be crushed if you let your people go? What will the people around them think about who you are because of what happens to them? There was an understanding that God had bound himself to the fortunes of his people, that what happened to them reflected on him. He had committed himself to them 
in a way where what happened to them reflected on who he was. See, in the ancient Near East, people knew that as it went for the king, so it went for them. If they had a good king, things would go well. If they had a bad king, things would go poorly. If they had a weak king, they would be overrun. If they had a strong king, they would be safe. But the surprise of the trustworthiness of God is that God flips that. He says, as it goes for my people, so it will be for me. Their future will be my future. That's how God treats us. As it goes for you, so it will be for me. That's how he binds himself for you. You see this, as it will be for my people, so it will be for me. Again, back at the cross, as it should have been for us. Judged, condemned, cast out, killed as those who are enemies of things that are good. So it was for him. Christ was crucified there, sharing our future so that the, as it goes for my people, so it will be for me, would be true for him. That where we would go, he would go. What we deserve, he would take on. What we would experience, he would completely take in for himself, even though we didn't deserve it, even though the cost was unimaginable, because he had bound himself to his people so that what would happen to them would reflect on him. It means through the cross, God tells us, if something impacts you, if something concerns you, no matter how bad it is, no matter how much that costs, it matters to me. It impacts me. My life is bound up in what happens to yours. Are you being attacked? Are you being wrongly accused? Are you in trouble financially in terms of your health, in terms of what's going on in your family? God says, if it concerns you, it concerns me. If they're coming for you, they're coming for me. And let's see what happens when the two of us meet. No matter the cost, I'm for you. I'm staking my reputation on what happens to your life. That's the surprise of God's trustworthiness, that he would sooner die in your place than be called untrustworthy. That he would sooner take on human form, become one of us for all time. Jesus is still in human form still fully human at the right hand of God the Father, that he would do that for all time, change himself, so that as it goes for my people, so it would go for me, that he would step into our lives in that way. When you see the incarnation, when you see the crucifixion of Jesus, see the trustworthiness of God, that he would say, as it goes for my people, so it will be for me. If you are wondering if God can about what's going on in your life. Just look at who Jesus is and what he did and you have a resounding answer that says, I care so much that I have said, as it goes for you, so it will be for me. I want you to say that to your fears and to your problems today and this week and this year. You think, God doesn't care about me. Here I am. Nothing is going well. Nothing is working. I feel like I am floundering. Look at the life and the death of Jesus Christ and see God saying, if it matters to you, it matters to me. 
If they're coming for you, they're coming for me. As it goes for my people, so it will be for me. See, the great mystery of Christianity is not that God is distant, that God is so much bigger than we are, that God is incomprehensible. The great mystery is that God is all those things and he would forego that to step down into humanity's place and do things for we who scripture says are like grass. The mystery of Christianity is the trustworthiness, the selflessness, the commitment of God to creatures that are a passing breath. You want to know if God cares about you. Can I trust you? Jesus says, as it goes for you, so it will be for me. Maybe you've had a friend like that who said something like that to you. What happens to you happens to me. I'm in this. I'm in it. Ride or die. Jesus is in it like that with you. And that doesn't mean we always win the battles here and now because Jesus himself did not win all the battles. Jesus' life looks like greater and greater loss, greater and greater falling apart, greater and greater loneliness and being misunderstood. This is not a magic prayer that Israel prayed or that we can pray and you just win every battle. Everything just turns out for you. This is still a plea Verse 9 still says, may the Lord answer us when we call and expresses that we still call out for God to hear us even after we've said, verse 6, that we have confidence that he will, that the Lord does save his anointed. We still get to be human and wrestle with the fact that we don't know the outcomes of this life, that we don't know exactly what God is going to do, that we don't understand all the things that he knows about what true freedom, true victory, true success, true health looks like. We still get to wrestle and say, yes, I trust you, and at the same time, please save me because I don't know if you will. Please help me. We're trusting, we're putting faith in God, but without the sight of what we hope for. This is not a vending machine religion where you put in your prayer and you get your little bag of chips. This is very different. It's an honest picture of life in this world where we are called to hold things in paradox where God is big and strong and capable and at the same time, he lets an experience like the cross happen to his own son so that you and I might be saved. Things that look like they are the end in Christianity are always being used by God for things that are not the end. We will experience things that feel like the end, things that feel like death, things that are death here and now, but our trust is in something that doesn't stop when we stop. But then a God who stepped into our experience was killed and said, this is not the end. If you trust me, this will be true for you too. So we say we don't know the outcome, but we are trusting you for it, God, because we believe that if we trust something else, ultimately we are just grasping at air. There is nothing substantive there. And that brings us to the last consideration here, the problem of trusting something else. And this comes out in verse 7. The first reason that, that, that trying to trust anything besides God for what we face in our life, as difficult as those things are, without the certainty of what those outcomes will be, the problem with trusting everything else is that it all depends on something besides itself to save you. Verse 7, chariots, they need flat ground. 
They are no good on moguls. Horses need food, rest. So do the chariots and horses we depend on. They need something else to be powerful. Your skills and your education and your experience. They need opportunity. They need safety. They need a context where those things can grow. All your planning, your ability to map out your future depends on futures playing out in ways that you can anticipate. How many times have you made a plan and that plan has just gone out the window? Our bank accounts, our retirement funds, they depend on economic stability. It hasn't been too long since we saw just how unstable the economy can be. Just how things can change overnight. They depend on things like peace and absence of war, not having your identity stolen. Everything we trust in depends on something else to make it powerful for you. It's resting on other conditions. It is not independent. It is dependent. Nothing in this world is guaranteed, no matter how much we say it's guaranteed. But the conviction of Scripture is that our God is independent. He does not have to rely on anything else. He made everything else. He doesn't have to hope that other things work out. He doesn't have to make a phone call. He doesn't have to transfer his money from his savings to his checking. God is not limited in the ways that we are limited. He doesn't need three banking days to get you what you need. He doesn't have to call in a favor to get you the help that you need. If you're depending on something other than God, you're trusting in something that has to depend on something else. There is nothing in existence that is entirely independent of other conditions. Only God is independent. Only something that can be outside of creation can really be independent from creation. Whether you like the idea of God or not, that, that has to be true. That if something is here in creation, it's dependent on all these other things. But if something is outside, it can be independent of that system. But that's the difficulty of trusting anything else in this world is that it is dependent on something else to go right. Nothing in this world can give you the guarantee. It just can't. If we're honest with ourselves, it just can't. And if you've lived long enough, you started to know that's true. The other difficulty of trusting something that's not God is that even when you think you've got something really good lined up, you've put in a lot of work, you've got a great degree track, you have that tenure position coming up, You've got those relationships just the way you want them. You think you've put in the effort, the kindness, the shaping that you want to do. God redefines what is powerful in a second. What you thought was powerful is no longer powerful when he just says, stop. When he says, your power is no good here. That's effectively what he does to Pharaoh's army in the Red Sea. Chariots, as powerful as you can be, God just says, stop. No more. It's what he does with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter 3, where Nebuchadnezzar had made this golden idol that everyone had to bow down to and worship. And those three men said, we can't do that because we trust in someone else. And the king threw them in the furnace anyway because they wouldn't bow down. And that was their day of trouble. And yet, 
God redefined what was powerful in that moment. God says, Nebuchadnezzar, your anger, it's no good here. Your rage is no good here. Your fire is no good here. Pharaoh, your chariots are no good here. Jesus healing people born blind and deaf. He says, your sickness is no good here. The cross and the resurrection says to sin and death, your power is no good here. To our enemies today, he may not say this right now, but in the end, God will ultimately at the resurrection say, your power is no good here. You are done with them. Stop. To all the things that make you sad and lonely and depressed and frustrated, the promise of the resurrection is that one day God will definitively say, stop. And their power, which seems so strong, will be no more. It's God alone who lasts and has power, who defines what is powerful, and we're invited to trust in him. So do you believe, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you can rely on God even when you're facing something that is obviously so much more powerful than you are? Can you say with them, our God can deliver us, O King, but if not we will not bend the knee. Are you going to rely on yourself, on things that you can see, things that you can touch and shape and handle and count, things that ultimately have to depend on something else? What are you trusting in? That's the question of this text. That's the invitation of Christianity. What are you trusting in? Is it something like God that remembers you, that says, as it will be for you, so it will be for me? It says, I ultimately define what's powerful and I don't depend on anybody else. The invitation is to know that God. And so in closing, I want to give us a few things in application to help us do that a bit more. I want to encourage us to do three things, to, to take an inventory, to remember, and to share. I want to encourage you to, to take a small inventory today, even just for a minute while we're sitting here, while we're praying in a few minutes. What am I really trusting in, in that thing that feels challenging in my life? And those people who are like right here in my head, I've been having a mental battle with them for hours. I feel like I've finally got them on the ropes. What, what am I trusting in in that situation? In my work, what am I trusting in to solve this problem? What am I trusting in here at CTK for the things that feel challenging? What, if I'm honest, what am I really trusting in? Is it up to me? Is it up to the right programs? Is it up to the right people doing the right things at the right time? What am I actually trusting in? What do my actions say? I want to encourage you, just look for what makes you anxious or angry. The things that make you feel worried, stressed. The things that make you feel so deeply frustrated with someone else that I can't believe you would do that. Those are things that are often revealing that I'm trusting in something else. And that thing is being threatened right now. And so because it's threatened, I'm anxious or I'm angry. Take an inventory. Try and find out where am I really trusting something that is ultimately 
not independent, something that is unstable. And so my life is unstable because I'm resting on that shaky ground. And when you've taken that inventory, I want to encourage you to remind yourself that God has promised to remember you. Remember that he has promised to remember me. He staked his reputation on what happens to me. Look at the cross again. Look at his life again. How committed is he to you to the point of coming down and being a finite human being alongside you? How committed is he to you to the point of doing all that and dying in a painful way, a brutal way on the cross in your place? Remember that when you feel like nothing is working, the things that you have trusted in have broken down, remember that he remembers you. That if they're coming for you, they're coming for him. Remember that he remembers you still. That even when it looks like everything has fallen apart, just look like it looked like everything had fallen apart for Jesus, that he remembers you still, that the end is not the end with him. That you can take that inventory, you can see what you're trusting in that's, that's not independent. And you can remember that somebody else remembers you. That somebody else is bigger than you. That someone else is looking out for you. That they're vested in your survival. Finally, I want to encourage you not just to remember those things, not to just take that inventory, but to share. To share where God has showed up for you in the past. Where you've seen him show up for other people. You might be the means of God showing himself as trustworthy to someone else. God likes to use us in our awkward, fragile broken, messed up, sometimes smelly, sometimes weird ways. God likes to work through us to show who he really is. In the same way he liked to work through Jacob, who was messed up and weird. He liked to work through Moses and Abraham, who were messed up and at times weird people. God likes to work through us to show other people that he is trustworthy. Yours might be the testimony that someone needs to hear that God is trustworthy. They might need to hear the story your way. They might need to hear that. That God shows up in the day of trouble that you face, which might be exactly like the day of trouble that they're facing. We need to hear the stories of God showing up for one another. We need to see the trustworthiness of God in each other's stories that we might know it for ourselves. So share what God has done for you. Share how he showed up for you. It might be the exact way that some of us hold on for one more day or start holding on for the first time. And if you have never received a hope in Jesus Christ to be someone as trustworthy, then let me share, let us share with you the hope that we have. Receive something that is so much more trustworthy, something that is so much more solid than anything that you or I can do. It's hard to get there. It's hard to move ourselves beyond the things that are comfortable and familiar, that feel dependent, but it is not too long before those things start to fail you. Receive what we would share, which has been shared with us, that there is something that will not fail you, where all the circumstances can break down and you are still being held by something that reaches beyond the grave. In Psalm 20, people entrusted their lives and their livelihood to God. Will you trust that he's got you? Because he does. Let's pray. 
We'd like to leave a little space for you to reflect, maybe to take that little inventory we were just talking about to pray. Maybe thanking God for the ways that he's remembered you. Or confessing the ways that, that you're taking this inventory and you're realizing I am trusting in something else. And maybe asking him to give you to trust that he remembers you. Let's pray. God, we set these things before you and ask that you would remember us. In your name we pray, amen.